Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer joining us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Shannon, I've heard Peoria is like 14 degrees, and I got to be really honest. I'm like elated. I'm elated that you guys are in freezing cold and that it might be warmer here. Uh, Right now it's 49 degrees, but seriously, it feels like it's probably about 39. It is inexplicably cold, and for some reason, it feels colder here, like the 39 degrees or 49 degrees here, much colder than in Seattle. So (laughs) I don't know if we're missing the humidity or if it's because we're looking at cactus and we're just confused, but uh, it has not been a typical (laughs) spring training weather-wise. So you, you you can be gleeful about that. I am. Hey, Shannon, you are one of our Mariners insiders. So I listen to you, Shannon. If you tell me not to worry about the score, you know, you're more focused on individuals and how they're improving, I'm going to listen to you. So I've seen uh, Jared Kelly have some good at-bats. We've seen Julio Rodriguez do his thing, Teoscar, Robbie bounces back. Is Is there something that you're looking for while you're down there that you haven't seen so far that I can look for to check a box? Well, you know, it's it's different for everybody. I, I've said this with Jared Kelnick. We're not going to know until it's the regular season. You know, what you see now is encouraging, but until he gets into actual regular season games, facing regular season pitching, you're just not going to know if what we are seeing. I'm not going to say it isn't real because we have seen it here, mm-hmm. but if it translates. When you're looking at a pitcher, it's a little bit different, especially if it's more a more established pitcher. So what we saw from Robbie Ray yesterday, uh, very encouraging, not just in what we saw with his stuff, but what how he felt about his stuff. And we did see a little bit more velocity, and we did see the new pitch, the splitter, and we did see the chain or the uh, the. Um, slider uh acting a little bit different and he was you know over the moon about what he did that's good um today we're going to see logan gilbert for the first time on saturday we're going to see george kirby for the first time gilbert has got a splitter that's been getting rave reviews we have yet to see it against live hitters let's see what that looks like so it's really kind of a progression and it depends which individual you are talking about obviously nothing really counts until the regular season begins but if it's a pitcher where there were a player with more track record, you can put a little bit more into mm-hmm. it. Um, we, I'm glad you mentioned that splitter because we heard from from you, from Pete Woodworth, uh, that all the pitchers, with the exception of Luis Castillo, wanted to introduce a new pitch uh, in spring training. Which fine, I think one guy did it, and maybe they were all like me too. Which who among us uh, doesn't want to to try new stuff? So we've seen um, some of it, but what have you made of the new pitches that you've seen at practice, and who's introducing? what that you know of (laughs) there's a lot going on in that front and some of it i accidentally kind of let the cat out of the bag with one on a broadcast the other day so i'm not going to uh reveal that again but uh, the best may be yet to come with one of the relievers we shall see uh but the ones that have been giving kind of the most notice have been the splitters logan gilbert has added it it's kind of a split change and you're going to hear sometimes it's a change up and sometimes it's a splitter uh it'll be interesting to see when we get a look at the numbers when you get into season and you can get uh the baseball savant numbers on it what it actually is but what's important is the movement that it has and with his extension it should be insane if it's a good splitter that's going to be a weapon 
happen. Uh, George Kirby has played with one a little bit. Robbie Ray's looked good yesterday. Marco Gonzalez has added a slider, so if that is viable and he feels good about it, that will be six pitches for Marco Gonzalez, which is fantastic. He, as long as he hits his spots, the more he has, the better. I, I think those are the ones that have kind of been the most significant, but uh, you never know, and we don't know because they do keep some of them a little bit quieter, but I think that those are the ones that we've heard the most about. Matt Brash um, throwing the cutter. We haven't seen that as much. He's had a little bit of a rough outing his uh, last couple of outings the times that he's gone out, but and Scott Service was right, and I remember this last year. He's more of an adrenaline guy, so you know they're not too worried about it. He's going to go off to the WBC. That'll be a different situation. He's going to play for his country, and that'll probably amp things up for him a little bit, but for relievers, it's really, really tough, and especially with these new rules. You know, They're not going to get into a situation this spring where games on the line it's a game that counts you know superstar batter on the other side it's all or nothing in that point and there's a clock you can't replicate that in spring training so in addition to it really being kind of a tough position to get ready for anyway because you only pitch every four or five days uh, now they add that to it so i think it'll be really interesting watching them in particular once the season begins Hey, Shannon, how important is it that um, a guy like Evan White um, has a good spring and instills confidence and service in the puddle during this time? I think it's great. Um, You know, I I think that it would be easy to look at him after missing almost two years with uh, injury and a hip injury at that. And you're kind of wondering, well, what are the limitations going to be coming back from hip surgeries? And from what we've seen, it doesn't look like it's there at all. The thing that I saw that was most encouraging was, I think it was his second game, he had a dive to his left and a dive to his right in the field and got up, threw out a runner at home, uh, reported everything was fine afterwards. I think that's just a great test for everything that he has been through. What he does at the plate looks solid right now. And he's not a player that's going to win a position out of spring training. He needs at-bats. But he is somebody that if he does kind of find a little something, a little anything with the bat, uh, they would love to have when that need arises. But they do know that he needs to get some work ahead of time. But having that strong springs training, and when you talk to Scott Service, you talk to Jerry DePoto, his name is one of the ones that comes up when you're talking about players who have been eye-opening yeah. in the spring. So that's a good thing. Hey, can I get back to Jared for a moment? I haven't uh, obviously uh, been out there to see it. But I have heard that just his approach at the plate looks different. He looks more. I mean, what do you see? Like, what do you just see Jared look like at the plate that looks different, if anything? Not as many moving parts. He's got Mm. the bat on his shoulder now. um, And it's kind of evolved. You saw some video of what he was doing even a month ago, and it's a little bit different. And uh, he, it's funny because when I watched the changes that he made, and there was a kind of a little pump of his hands that he would do right before um, the swing. He's not even doing that anymore. And I looked at it, and I like, yeah, he needs a little bit of movement. This is a guy that does like to move a little bit at the plate. And sure enough, one of the second games, the second game that we saw him in, and we saw he had that little Julio arm flap um, when he was waiting for the pitch. And that was, he said, he said he also will do a little something with his back knee just so he can feel athletic, that he can feel his body before the swing. But it's not as extreme as some of the movements that we saw before. So I think that that's probably going to look a little bit different when you see him and uh, the approach, I, I love what he's doing at the plate. And, you know, it's like take him pitch by pitch. And 
for him, he doesn't want to know what the count is, is what he's saying right now. We'll see how long that lasts. But he, he doesn't want it to be in his head, you know, he's in trouble, he's behind, uh, you know, didn't like a call before. And when he focuses pitch to pitch, he's able to focus more just on the pitch. And I think the time clock is going to help him too because if he does see something he doesn't like, there's no time to really even think about that very much or question it. It's get back in the box and try and do something good with the next one. So uh, I think he's in a good place with what he's doing with his swing, uh, with his approach, and just kind of the mentality right now as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the of the clock, Shannon. Um, I was an athlete who just liked to react and just go. So I kind of feel where, where Jared is coming from. We talk about all the changes that he's made mentally and physically. Has there been any other noticeable changes with someone else, you know, maybe a veteran or a guy trying to make this roster, something that's been talked about or something that you've observed? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, You know, I I think Marco adding a pitch at this point is something that is pretty big. Did not know that he was working on that coming into camp. Can't really think anything on the spot on the position players as much. Um, you know, when you're coming off a season that you've had success, you don't necessarily need to go kind of reinventing the wheel. And it's there are a lot of jokes about everybody being in the best shape of their life in spring training. You truly see that. You know, these guys train year-round right now. It's part of their job, be it uh, at home or going to a facility. So it's it's kind of more of an evolution when you see them. It's almost like you're picking up from the end of last year. So I can't, um, you know, other than the pitchers, I can't really think of anything that is is too extreme that I've noticed. Um, you mentioned that maybe the best is still to come uh, when it comes to some of the new pitches we've seen or little adjustments pitchers have made. Is that maybe from Kirby or someone out of the bullpen? I'm trying to I'm trying to fish and see if I can get more insight. What's the most you I'm can tell me? Say I'm not going to say anything. And I think it's absolutely <laughs> silly because there's intel all over the place. You get into one game and you see it and it's all over. So the element of surprise, not too good. But uh, I, I think I'm going to try and keep the confidence a little bit better right now. But it's I'll, good. <laughs> I'll reframe it as uh, is is what you have seen uh, either from the bullpen, from the pitching staff. Does it bode well to you for the season? Does it make you feel very encouraged for their potential this season? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you look around and you look at the pitches. I mean, if Robbie Ray is able to, you know, add a little something and add to what he did last year, that's a positive. George Kirby with a a full year uh, in front of him, with almost a full year under his belt and his determination. You can see him taking a step. Logan Gilbert, very intrigued by the pitch that we're going to see in an hour. I mean, the starting rotation, uh, you see them moving forward. Then you look at the bullpen, and as good as they were last year, and you get a little bit nervous that they say, you know, bullpens are fickle and you can't depend on anything. Well, there are a lot of good arms beyond uh, what you would expect to break camp. And then you've got arms that are adding things. Things like Matt Brash went to work on some things. Matt Festa is healthy. We really didn't get a good look at him or as much as you would like to, to, of him last year, but it was just absolutely nasty with the sliders. And you look at the young players like Prelander Baroa, who is a starter, but I think they could go to in a relief situation if they needed and, you know, could be something along the lines of what you saw with Edwin Diaz and how they or, or Matt Brash for that matter and that they converted them and their stuff just translated so beautifully and were just nasty and leverage type arms out of the pen that's all over the place here and I saw a great start from great first spring start 
from Emerson Hancock. And you, you like what you see there. Bryce Miller, his first spring start. These guys have got confidence. They're not phased by it. Uh, there's a lot that they have on the pitching side. Hey, Shannon, what did you see from Brash? Obviously, we're not too concerned with his outing, but um, I see an outing like that, and I say he must have been working on some things, trying some things. What did you see out of him? I'm going to be honest. Uh, in these spring games, when the starter comes out of the game, we have to go downstairs, mm. which in these spring parks are usually all the way across in center field, and talk to the starters. So I was uh, in a hallway underneath the field at Sloan Park talking to Robbie Ray when that happened. But the word was was uh, there was a lot of bad luck. There were some extreme wind uh, at, at time in, in the park. I think there were some drop balls. It was not the cleanest uh, fielded game. So I, I, from what I understand, it was not entirely mm-hmm. the pitching that undid his appearance yesterday. Uh, WBC coming up here just around the corner. What's spring training going to look like with those guys gone? Is it going to, I mean, I I actually have like no concept of, uh, of what this group will look like. And I know a lot of the guys who will be gone, but I mean, what's it going to look like with them out? You know, they keep going. Yeah. And it, it's it's an opportunity to look at younger players like Julio Rodriguez will be gone. And so that's going to be an opportunity. You know, one of the backups in center field this year is going to be Sam Haggerty. So he will be able to get out in center quite a bit more. You'll see Jonathan Classe a lot more, who's added to the 40-man roster. Very young player, just, you know, extremely exciting athlete. He's only five foot eight, but put up, you know, big power numbers and big, big stolen base numbers in the minors, in the low minors. He hasn't come very far, but you'll have the opportunity to see more of him. So it's going to be a little bit of a, a mismatch of those that uh, kind of the backups that you're going to need to see or more of the platoon players um, during the season and some of the young players that still have a ways to go but will have an opportunity to kind of show in these games. I think it'll be good for the middle infield situation. J.P. Crawford, Colton Wong, and Dylan Moore, who hopefully will be in games within the week, will have all the time that they need and all the innings that they need to get adjusted to what they're going to be doing. Um, so, you know, I think along those lines, it won't be too different. You're just going to be missing some some big names out there. Shannon, um, how would you describe this team at this point? I know if I think of last year's team, I think of just a, a team that plays good defense, good vibes. Um, the pitching staff is on point. How would you describe them up to this point? Probably a about the same. I think they've got a chance of even better defense. Uh, I think the shift is going to kind of maybe set them apart from some because you've got a very good defensive second baseman in Colton Wong. I know he had some problems with the errors last year, but he's gone to work with that with Perry Hill and with um, you know without the shift, your second baseman is going to have to be a more pure second base. You can't just kind of hide a player or a bat over there that you want to get into the lineup. they got to be able to make the plays. And uh, I think he and J.P. and Dylan and J.P., and you'll see sometimes that it might be even Dylan and Haggerty at the same time. I think you're going to see some really nice infield defense right there. So I, I think that that's going to be important. She's Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer, kind enough to join us today from Peoria on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Shannon, thanks so much. Go warm up. Thanks, Shannon. <laughs> I'm going inside. Yeah, get thank inside. You thank you. All right. Thank you again to Shannon Dreyer for joining us. This hour of Bump and Stacy brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Let's get to four down territory. 
This is Four Down Territory, going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, there's a reason a position of need for the Hawks hasn't been able to produce a quality homegrown product for the past four seasons. Why doesn't it surprise you? Uh, it doesn't surprise me, Stace. Well, first, let me break down what um, what I saw, what I've seen these past few drafts as my notebook closed on me, and now it's reopened. Okay, with the last few drafts, four years, I broke it down. The last four years, this is what I've seen. I've seen six defensive linemen taken, five offensive linemen, four LBs, two RBs, seven wide receivers, three DBs, and two tight ends. When we talk about needs for this defense, where do we go initially, Stace? Defensive line. Go to the defensive well, line. Defense. We're like, like, okay, we need, well, specifically yeah. the defensive line. Yeah. And when we talk about that defensive line, we talk about the need for these big tackles, especially going over to this 3-4. Out of those six defensive linemen, there's only been two defensive tackles drafted. One was Demarcus Christmas, who's no longer in the league. No. And then you have Rasheem Green, if I go back five years. You go back four years, one real D tackle drafted. Now, you've gone out and you found some D tackles and you brought them in, but they haven't really invested in that yeah. position in that draft. So then it does not surprise me. If you don't draft, if you don't try to develop, then you're going to have these problems. And that's where we are today. you got a 36-year-old um, Al Woods. You un- undrafted free agent in Puna. Mm-hmm. Didn't draft him, but he was serviceable. Looked better in that 4-3. So I, I look at this situation and I go, you've gotten three linemen out, three uh, offensive linemen out of the, the last four years. You've gotten uh, two to three running backs. you got two to three linebackers. You've gotten two receivers, if you uh, count Freddie Swain over there, and you got three DBs and one tight end. Everything has kind of been hidden except for that D-tackle spot. That's why it's even more important that they go after a big D-tackle during this thing. Just like we talk about the offensive linemen maybe getting a center and having them grow together, you want guys to grow on that defensive line together. I think they have some good edge rushers. They mm-hmm. might still address that position as well. But you need some big bodies. You have not drafted one since DeMarcus Christmas, and he is no longer in the NFL. This is a six-rounder, I want to say? Yeah, six or seven. Yeah, the highest would have been, I mean, Green was kind of like a tweener, but third-round. Like, it's just been... Oh, Jaron, obviously, who you mentioned. But, man, oh, God, when you think about it that way, Bump, way to make me feel worse. Second down. What's another reason Dan Campbell is one of your favorite coaches in the NFL? He's Uh, Peak Wyman. I love this dude. He is Peak Wyman. Yeah. They they share the same DNA somewhere in there. I swear they're brothers. There's something going on there. This is his quote about the combine. I guess they're somewhat of a spectacle. To me, it's more, at this point, just be able to sit with the guys. They get the medical during the week, but for us to be able to do these interviews, to me, is the biggest part of all this. It's not even the working out portion. He just wants to sit down with these guys and and get to know them. He goes, forget the working out, all the drills, that makes, makes no sense to me. I look at these receivers, and I go, if you are invited to the combine, you should be able to run a slant and catch a football. You should be able to catch a fade over the shoulder. You should be able to do these drills. If you're a quarterback invited to the combine, you should be able to throw the ball on the line, throw it 50 to 60 yards. Campbell is saying, I don't care about all that stuff. I want to sit and get to know these guys and check out their medical. If you really want to break a guy down, you look at the film. And there are more and more coaches who are thinking like Campbell. Mm -hmm. There are more GMs and head coaches that are thinking like Campbell. I'm going to say... In 10 years, the combine is nothing anymore because guys are going to look at this film. They're going to go visit these dudes, and they're going to make their decisions based off of that, not the 40 time. Can he play ball? Can he go east and west? Can he fill the gap? Can he take a good pursuit angle when a guy's running down the sideline? I love Dan Campbell for this. Dan Campbell's going to do the draft day style, like leave uh, you know something like some money or like a playbook, leave something in a playbook, give it to him, see if he opens it, see if he watches right. it. 
the Jamarcus Russell the DVD Jamarcus moment. Danny Campbell's just going to be waiting for it. You know what's interesting, though? Um, KJ Wright, I didn't mention this yesterday when I kind of recapped the Seattle Sports Star Awards. KJ Wright was talking about how important it is to be a good person off the field. And I was like, hey, if you could tell young people and kind of stress that, what would you say? He was like, I was on the same team for 10 years. It's not just because I was a good player. It's not just because I worked hard. It's also because they trust you. They like you. They exactly. believe in you. They know that you make the program, the locker room, the team better. Like, you want to talk about staying in the league for a long time. Part of it's who you are, too. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. You better ball, too. Oh, you better ball out. I mean, KJ was no joke. <laughs> I've seen some great people not be in the league very exactly. long. Exactly. <laughs> but what he's saying is... There is a certain point when, and we've seen this, whether it's with the Seahawks, right? Percy Harvin. Like, we've seen there's a certain point when it's like, if we don't gel, it doesn't matter how good you can be. We don't gel. Third down. Tell us about one of the cooler stories in the NFL this year. Andre Carter, man. He plays for Army. Had 15 and a half sacks his junior year. Now, typically when you go to these uh, military institutions, you have to serve two years of, of service immediately following your college career when you're done. So Andre Carter, and you have to commit to them going into your third year to say, look, all right, I commit, I'm going to be here, and I will serve my two years. So before his junior year, Andre Carter goes in, he goes, yeah, I'm going to commit. You know, I haven't had the greatest season so far, so I'm going to commit to my two years. He goes in his junior year, he has 15 and a half sacks. So then his senior year, he gets hurt, but now he's projected to be a top 50 pick. So normally, he would have to forego his NFL career and serve our our country, which we appreciate. Mm -hmm. All those young men and women who do that, we appreciate you. There hasn't been too many people drafted out of these institutes, out of Army, Air Force, and all that stuff. But um, there's been a rule change. So now he gets to enter the NFL draft and live out his dreams. When he's done with the NFL, now he gets to go and serve his two years. Here's the thing about the NFL. I mean, the average career is only three and a half years. I hope this man plays for a long time, but I think this is a good deal. He was grandfathered in. After this, guys are just going to have to serve their two years and then go to the NFL. Uh, I just thought that this was awesome, man, because... He deserves to be in the NFL, and I know he's made a commitment uh, to this country and to uh, his uh, his army mates and all that stuff. But to see him being able to go out there and go to the combine and do these interviews and do the thing that he wanted to do since he was a child, he gets to do both now. Yeah, you know, people who go to army and who go to navy. This is something that they've wanted to do. At least most people. I come from a military family. All my uncles wanted to do this. So the fact that he gets to uh, live out a dream in both senses, in the Army and the Mm -hmm. NFL, is awesome to me. He deserves an opportunity. I'm glad he got grandfathered in with this rule. And uh, we'll see him on draft day. Easy person to root for. Uh, Fourth down. What's your favorite event at the Combine? I just talked all this (laughs) stuff about... Oh, the combine's going to be gone in 10 years. What are you doing? It's routes on air. There's no contact. They're wearing pajamas. But I still watch because I'm a football nerd. That's just what I do. My favorite competition is when I see people do something I can't do, and that is throw 225 up and down off their chest 25 to 30 times. I love seeing the big boys make 225 look like my warm-up. My warm-up weight is 135, and they're throwing it around like it's warm-up weight. I love seeing big boys compete like that. I wish that they brought that back to the Pro Bowl. Remember the days in the Pro Bowl, they used to have these guys rep 225 and see how strong they were. That's my favorite event. Obviously, I like seeing guys run, but but you kind of know who's going to be the fastest group receivers, DBs. You know how that's going to go down. 
Seeing the big boys toss that weight around does something for me. Also, something about seeing the guys encourage other guys. Like, they're like, whoa! And, like, cheering each other on. They'll count up or they'll be like, you got it, you got it. Like, it's just, I don't know, there's something about it that's so encouraging to me. I love people that root and support other people on, like, lifting weights or whatever. You gassed me up. I'll give an extra two A thousand percent. It's just very cool. Gassed me up. Uh, All right, you are listening to Bump and Stacey on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. A Ravens wide receiver getting into it with the GM also. So uh, more details emerging from the NFLPA's survey about all those teams, including some pretty damning stories about an NFC West team. That's next. This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy, Brought to you by 1-800-DUI-OA. It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy reading you the top stories you're going to see on your own timeline. So let's jump to one we introduced yesterday. Uh, the NFLPA survey uh, was sent out to 1,300 players. It is efforts by the players' union to, while people choose where to go in free agency, try to give them a uh, an kind of anonymous grading system of a couple key parts of teams. So this is based on treatment of families, nutrition, weight room, things that are going to matter to players uh, choosing where they go. More details have emerged from the NFLPA survey, uh, including some pretty damning ones about the Arizona Cardinals. Now, nutrition, the Arizona Cardinals ranked F minus. They were uh, tied for last. Okay. This is what it says about quality of food, and then I'll get to the one it says about weight room. This is bad. Quality of food. If players would like dinner, it will be boxed up for them, but players reported the team will charge you via payroll deduction. They're the only club that does this. What? Yes. What? So you know how, like, this is to me more egregious than when uh, companies will be like, oh, you got back 30 minutes late from lunch. We'll go ahead and uh, deduct that from your from your hour hourly you're an NFL team <laughs> what are you talking about your your business is my body right. and what i can do nutrition is part of that yeah okay. um don't you want your players to eat healthy and just be just be in the facility there's something that happens yeah. when you keep guys around there's some other things you're going to point out too that will uh well, so what I'm slightly saying. related. Okay. We'll, we'll combine these two. Uh, players reported that if you work out at the facility after the season's over, which like you would kind of want guys to do, the team charges you for every meal eaten at the facility. What? They're the only team that does what it. What are you doing, AZ? This is Arizona, right? Yeah. What are you doing? You want guys to come around. You want guys to be there. You want guys to lift them there if, if you can. You want guys eating there. You want guys to live in the film room. If they got to watch film and then leave and go down the street to a restaurant, then they're not likely to, to be there. It's it's crazy to me. Now, I understand guys leave during the offseason and do their own thing. When I was with the Hawks, there was about 25 of us who hung around and got better with your trainers. You're around your coaches. You're around your staff. You're building team morale. AZ, y'all tripping. I know. Uh, they ranked 31st for locker room with only uh, a third of players, just under a third of players, feeling like they have enough space. Um, also, they said that the weight room is a health and safety risk just to walk through it. Uh, the flooring was a near unanimous complaint. Uh, the floors are apparently uneven and peeling up. This is an NFL facility. All right, there's a couple things that you need to play football. You got to be in great shape. <laughs> yes. You got to be healthy. All right. And you got to be able to endure long OTAs. Well, OTAs ain't what they used to be. Yeah. OTAs, training camp, preseason, during the season. Your job as an organization is to make sure every player on your team has the resources 
to make it through a season and compete at a high level, yep. AZ does not have that. Is what it I'm sounds like. I'm just saying the fact, the fact that even the Washington Commanders offer all three meals to players. Like Arizona is trailing the Washington Commanders, which are a, a horribly run organization. It's embarrassing. Take care of your take care of your product. Yes. How did Larry Fitzgerald last like? 17 years good there. relationships it was probably cool when he was there and then he left her like all right man yeah because you have to think i mean if one of the complaints about it is that it's old and outdated you know i hate to say this about larry fitz uh but he is older guys around the league were probably paying for food and yeah then now years later it's pretty ridiculous like don't you want these guys to be fine-tuned machines i of- think what's wild to me is like i know that we can look at jerry world and we talked about this yesterday and be like okay this is an example of kind of like opulence and kind of over the top care of a facility a facility that if i were a player i'd love to be at but right. like i understand that that's not representative of everyone's money that they have to work with that being said if you are a billionaire who owns a sports team like then commit to the the bit, I guess. Like, what are you, if you, then why have it? It's kind of like holding a team hostage. Like, if you aren't really making an effort so that your team can win a Super Bowl or your team can win a World Series or you can, or your team can do whatever, then you're kind of just doing this as like, what, a tax write-off? Like, a, a, a way to show off to your friends? It's like, the, then give it to someone else. Dion in Tacoma with a good one. He says, do they also charge players to park, too? Wouldn't be surprised. You, I would not be surprised, be surprised at all. Here's would the, not be surprised Here's at the all. thing is that, it's your responsibility. Like, why should you expect championships and good good football being played if you're not providing the bare minimums for your athletes, the people who make you that money, who put butts in the stands? It sounds lazy to me, and it sounds irresponsible. I mean, the Washington Commanders, they got complaints for not having enough warm water with showers. So, like, it, again, it, it kind of – it's very insightful as a fan to look in from the outside and realize the discrepancy between one team's facilities and another team's facilities when they're competing in the same league owned by billionaires and, and taking in a ton of money. Like, these organizations are making money. You know what it reminds me of? So, I was on the first team to be in VMAC. We left – uh, the Kirkland site, boom, we're in VMAC. I'm thinking this is nuts. We got everything, steam room, cold tubs. You got treadmills underwater. You got food. You're being taken care of. And then a couple years later, I'm cut. You know where I go? To the good old CFL. And I go up to the BC Lions, and I walk into that situation, and I go, I had it really good uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. you know. But I also understood that sure. they didn't have the money that the Seahawks had. So I'm listening to the Arizona Cardinals, and it sounds like BC back in the day. Now, I've heard BC Lions have done some things and enhanced their facilities, but you should not be compared to a CFL team. Next up in the timeline, Ravens wide receiver Rashad Bateman went in on Baltimore GM Eric DaCosta. Here is what uh, DaCosta said from Sarah Ellison, who's a reporter covering Baltimore. Um, Eric DaCosta said uh, problems on drafting wide receivers. Quote, if I had an answer, that would probably mean I would have some better receivers. We're going to keep swinging. There have been some guys that have been successful players for us that were draft picks, and then they said they've never really hit on it. Again, like... You can say it privately, but if I was a GM, I don't know that I would say if we were better at it, we'd have better receivers when like those drafted receivers are still on your team. Rashad Bateman retweeted it and said, how about you play to your players' strengths and stop pointing the finger at us and number eight being obviously Lamar. Blame the one you let do this. We take heat 24-7 and keep us healthy. Care about us and see what happens. Ain't no promises, though. Tired of y'all lying and capping on players for no reason. 
Then um, Mike Davis, former Seahawk, also has been with the Ravens, retweeted that and said, I hate to say it or be that guy, but being there, Bate, Rashad Bateman, is 100% right. Emotional damage. As a GM, you do not come out and say, look, we just haven't hit on this position and that position. You give the generic, the PC, the cliche. You go out there. Your job is to make you guys look like a united front. And then if I'm Bateman, I feel you. I understand where you're coming from, but that man is signing your checks, too. So yeah. I don't think I'd go out on Twitter and, uh, and 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 express myself in that way. I think privately with your boys and stuff, there's a game that has to be played, and neither of them are playing it correctly. No. Also, let me tell you what, Eric, you got bigger fish to fry here. You got to worry about how to keep your MVP who's not happy with your team. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, all right. We didn't spend quite enough time on talking about some of the Seahawks' biggest needs, so let's get back to that. I kept getting us totally sidelined with some of these conversations. So um, we're going to talk about where they need to add some overlooked things they need to add, what it could mean for them um, being competitive, getting back to a Super Bowl as soon as possible, which is exactly what Seahawks fans want to see. So we're going to talk about that and get back to a little bit of Mariners at noon, taking a look around the NFL at 1230. Hype train still to come your way. Don't go anywhere. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. A reminder for you guys, if you miss any part of the show, make sure you're subscribed to the Bump and Stacy podcast. You can just type Bump or Bump and Stacy uh, into Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, and we should pop up there. And uh, we would love it if you would leave a review. Love it if you would subscribe. Um, it just gives you automatic access to that day's show. It populates every single weekday. Don't worry, you're not going to get stuff on weekends uh, when we aren't there. But it'll be perfect for telling you exactly what's in that hour. So rather than going back and trying to find an interview, you can just pull up your phone, pull up your iPad, whatever it is, and you can see, oh, hey, look at that. Logan Gilbert, 1 p.m. I'm going to listen to that interview. Really useful stuff. So make sure you are subscribed. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review. We would so appreciate it. We're going to get to uh, some of the latest stuff from Peoria, some stuff from Jerry Depoto coming your way in 15, um, kind of wrapping up a little bit of uh, Seahawks talk here, getting back to the conversation about the positions of need. And I wanted to go back to center. We only spent three minutes on it. And I know the offensive line talk isn't sexy. No offense to offensive linemen out there. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, they know it. They know it. The, it. Offensive line talk is not what like draws Be careful. eyes. Big Ray is listening. I know he, he is, and you know I love Big Ray. I love Big Ray, but I'm just saying, you know, it's a quarterback league. Everyone's paying attention to you know who has the ball in their hands, and they forget that you know first guy with the ball in his hands, the center. <laughs> The snap sold it. Uh, the snap with the center. <laughs> and so that's why we're going to focus on an issue center to the Seahawks is center. Uh, this is a position that they have failed to really secure, I would say, since Unger was here. Now, you've had guys that have been fine, serviceable, solid. You haven't really had uh, pro bowlers, all pros. And I think that, you know, when folks look at the offensive line bump, they say, well, God, you just got got two great rookie tackles um, who are heading into you know their second years. You've got that solidified. You made a trade for Gabe Jackson and you drafted Damian Lewis in the third round. I mean, you know, God, do you need every piece? And I think that it's easy to overlook how important that role is. So I wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit because it it is possible to be better, I guess is what I'm saying. It's always possible to be better. And even improving one part of the offensive line does wonders for every other part of your offense. Who got to deal with Aaron Donald most of the time? Uh, who has to deal with him? Yeah, on the offensive line. It's your guard oh, this, and your center. Yeah. 
Who's got to deal with uh, Eric Armstead most of the time? Don't like it. It's your guard and your center. You have some good tackles, yes. They should be able to develop, handle the edge rushers. Those guys are extremely athletic, okay? But once those edge rushers, rushers get upfield, what does the quarterback have to do? He's got to step up inside the pocket. That's their job, and they filter you to the middle of that pocket, the guard, the center, and the other guard. Also, who is extremely important in the zone scheme? It's the guard in the center. Double team, boom, guard releases to the second level. Bam, you got your tackles one on one on that side. Backside, you you leave the end if if you're not a, if you're not ice on them, you get to that second level. I just described responsibilities for everybody on that offensive line. You cannot have the edges secure and nothing up the middle. Damian Lewis is doing a good job as well. Not trying to discount that guy. But you need a center. What what else does the center do? He communicates uh protections, right? He's talking to the quarterback. Are we, are we switching this up? When you watch the game, I want you to watch even some games last year where Austin Blythe, all right, he's got his button there. He's about to snap it. Then he lowers that button. He looks back to Gino. What are we doing here? All right, we're going to check out this. Bam. Then he communicates with the offensive line. Bam, we're going to communicate. We're going to do this. He is so important to the cohesiveness of that offensive line. If you have a center who understands what's going on at all times, can identify the box and make these calls, Guess what it does? It takes pressure off that quarterback. Yep. Quarterback ain't got to come up there and do all the calling. Omaha, 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 all this and that in the third. It gives the quarterback more time to look at the second and the third level and say, okay, this is a pass. This is what I'm looking at. I can focus here. Now, the quarterback has to know what's going on in the box, too. He's not walking up to the line blindly and saying, I'm ignoring the D-line and the linebackers. But if you have a center who can take some pressure off a quarterback, especially if you have the possibility of bringing in a young guy this year, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Right, we we don't want to go there, but we might have to go there. And if we do go there, you need a center to compliment him. So yes, the middle, well, the interior of that offensive line is extremely important. The whole offensive line is important. They are the second most important piece or unit when it comes to a football team. You got to sure that that spot up. Uh, two things. Number one, I love you pointing to young quarterbacks and how much that relationship matters as well. Obviously, the relationship matters between center and quarterback for anyone. Um, Uh, in any quarterback, regardless of age. I mean, Peyton Manning, right, and Jeff Saturday had a great relationship together, but it also especially matters for young guys. So for anyone out there who's like, hey, bring back Drew Locke, I don't really care about Gino. You know what's really going to help Drew Locke? A center who's been there before or a center who's great at his job. I mean, even a center coming out of college, if it's like a highly ranked guy that can be there for a while Mm -hmm. and grow with him, like that's going to matter to him too. It doesn't just stop at, oh, well, which quarterback do you want to get and what do you want to do with this and you have good tackles. Like, Again, I think because the Seahawks have been around 10 more often than not with total offense, it's like, oh, well, you know, you've been able to do that without consistency there at center. Why do you need to go out and spend a ton of money to do it? Can you just have a plug and play guy? Sure, you could. But what if you could be a top five offense? What if you could be even better? What if you could be a top five passing and running offense? Like what if think of all the things that you struggle with screens, right? Mm. Like think of all these things that would be helped by an offensive line that's working as a unit, which is the second thing I love of what you said. This was actually from earlier. Be a nickel, not five pennies. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, oh man, you know, who's great in in the screen game, sir, Jason Kelsey, please do not retire and consider (laughs) the Seattle Seahawks. Granite Hill costs a lot of money, but you got some good centers out there who are available. I've mentioned him before. Garrett Bradbury over there with, the Minnesota Vikings and Connor McGovern with the Jets. There's two Connor McGoverns, one with the Jets, one with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not making this up. This is real. There's two of them out there. Um, <laughs> so if you're not, and and here's the thing, I'm going to bet 
150 push-ups, if that's a lot, that they're going to if address. If that's a lot. If that, if, if, <laughs> that they will address the center position in the draft because you are building for the future. I would love Jason Kelsey, but you can't build for the future with a 33-year-old center, which yeah. you can Shout do. Shout out 80s babies. 80s babies all day. Short-term, you're good. Long-term, you're not. I mentioned how they haven't drafted a true defensive tackle in four drafts with the Seattle Seahawks, haven't been building towards the future. What have they done? They've gotten some free agents, uh, undrafted free agents, and brought them in, and we haven't gotten the production that we necessarily wanted out of those guys. Good dudes, good football players, but you have to think for the long run. And uh, how do you do that? You got to draft a center and bring a center in to teach this young man. Uh, All right. Um, We are going to get to the latest from Jerry DePoto, who was on with the Jerry DePoto show this morning on Brock and Salk. Some other little nuggets from spring training. Tons of Mariners stuff coming your way. Then we're going to take a look around the NFL. Don't go anywhere.